Welcome in to the Sports Objective, a very special night. There's, uh, with all the craziness going on in the world, which we're not going to touch tonight, obviously, and COVID-19 in Washington, it's great to have an escape. And with us right now, my uh, brother's from a different mother, and that would be Bubba Rosenbaum. How are you, man? Doing well, guys. How are y'all? Doing great. Kyle great. Barber, how are you, man? What's going on, Dave? Bubba, coaches, uh, do, 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 doing as well as, uh, as can be. Very All right, we're very, very excited. Nice. We've got the big the big matchup on Monday night, Ohio State and Alabama. And Bubba, very excited to have two of our favorite coaches to talk about football, life, whatever they want to talk about. Anytime they want to come on the show, they're always welcome. Absolutely, Dave. We've had these guys on multiple times in the past, and uh, it was a no-brainer to have them back on as we talk about the college football playoff championship game between Alabama and Ohio State and that we hope will be next Monday, the 11th. Um, without any further ado, welcome back in uh, a couple of guys that have nearly 80 years of experience between them, Rick Minner and Ricky Bustle. Guys, how are you? Doing Good. great, thank Good. you. Well, at least, uh, guys, uh, yesterday I had a co-worker uh, to ask me if I turned 60 yet, So, um, and I'm only 47, so... Uh -oh. uh, <laughs> so it can always be worse is my my point but anyway coaches uh welcome in so glad to have you i can't believe uh first thing i knew that you guys were coming on so one of the things i thought about today aren't we just glad that we're going to have a national championship game that we're going to be able to if it's monday night or i assume it'll be monday night uh, coach uh, mentor um but uh definitely I, i'm just happy the fact that we have uh, i want to get both of your reactions to the fact that it's nice to know that we're going to have Alabama, Ohio State instead of a canceled football season. Well, you know, it's been a long grind, I'm sure, for all these players and coaches dating all the way back to May and June when uh, the powers that be had to start making some decisions. And they kind of put the players out there around June the 6th, if I'm uh, correct on that. They started doing, you know, summer practices. And then, you know, some leagues by August made decisions that were challenging and difficult for the players. And that is, we were not going to play. Big Ten was first, then he went to Pac-12, right on down the line. And for us to be here now, of course, the SEC, ACC stood fast, and they, they got it going, and everybody else followed suit, the Big 12. And for us to finally be here at the, uh, the eve of this game on Monday night is quite an accomplishment, because I really uh, doubted it as, as just a lay person, not a doctor, but a lay person, thinking that there'd be t a ton of more issues perhaps than what it turned out to be. And uh, we're just thankful that all the kids and the coaches got here, most of them very safely. And we're looking forward to a great ball game on Monday night. Coach Bustle, what are, what are your thoughts on that about as far as the, the season? I really was worried that we would not have one. No, I, I, I'm the same way. Uh, you know, I, and, and trust me, there's nothing in the old playbook or the head coach's manual to figure all this out. And I think, uh, you know, at some point, you know, people thought this group was wrong, this group was right, all that. But uh, to be where we are right now, and obviously we had some games canceled and, and so forth, I'd have lost money. If I'd bet early, we wouldn't have had anything. Guys, we get we get Alabama and Ohio State. Um, you know, I think some people, uh, you hear about Alabama fatigue and Clemson fatigue. and uh, of course, you get you, you, you get a traditional blue blood in there with Ohio State. It's not a, it's not Alabama Clemson, but uh, it's Alabama Ohio State. Um, do, do you think? Um, 
I, I hate to say, do you think the right two teams playing for the national championship because they won their playoff games? But you know, I'm I'm always a proponent. I think we should go to eight with the playoffs. I think Oklahoma, for example, right now is playing as good a football as anybody. Uh, but what what do, you, what do you think of these two teams, Ohio State and Alabama? And uh, did you ever think you'd see a team play uh, play seven ball games and then a uh, national championship game? Well, if you're going to pick the four teams you picked, now you now have the two better teams, obviously. Uh, there was arguments about who were the top four to begin with, whether it be enough games played, whether it be uh, a talented A&M team, whether it be a come-on-late Ohio State team, whether it be a group of five Cincinnati team. There were some good choices out there. I think all in all, the committee probably got it right. And if they did with those four, then – now you've definitely got the two best teams. And uh, I think this was going to be a, a classic matchup like it was, I want to say, about four or five years ago when those guys played in that first-round game, and I think Ohio State beat them. Uh, I don't think Ohio State's a good matchup for Alabama. I really don't. They play a style of physicality in the trenches that uh, can match Alabama's and surpass it. Uh, you know, it's going to be one out, out there on the flank, you know, with Devontae and those kind of guys making the X plays and the explosives, but uh, I don't think Alabama's overly looking forward to playing Ohio State. Coach Bustle, have you ever seen a quarterback have uh, have a better performance than that kid did for Ohio State the other night in, in, in such a big spotlight? Well, I, I just think in the type of game that it was, I mean, he rose to the occasion, and, and I really thought he was out, going to be out of the game. Because uh, <clears throat> when last time, and of course, it's been a long time, but last time I took a hit around that hip, I ended up with a hip one, <clears throat> and, that's, and that's nothing to joke about, man. That thing's a painful thing, and that's what I was afraid that he had, and even the way he walked around the field. But, you know, uh, I think they got better medicines today than when I when, when Rick and I played back there sometime. But uh, <laughs> I just thought he, you know, he, he played, and he was determined, uh, I think, just tremendously motivated. Uh, I think the team gathered around him. You know, on both sides of the ball, and I just, you know, he had him a heck of a night. Yeah, no doubt. As two former head coaches, you know, you, you guys coached some big games. Uh, you know, I, I know, I know, you coached Bustle coached the national championship games. I was coordinator for Virginia Tech. Um, how? You know, for, for obviously Saban's been here. You know, he he's done it a million times. Uh, how much of an advantage do you guys, you know, think that is for Coach Saban uh, over, um, oh, God, Ohio State's head coach? Is Ryan Day. Texas. Yeah, Ryan Day. Mm -hmm. uh, how much of an advantage do you think that is, you know, that Saban has done this before? He, he, he knows the routine. He's, he's been in this kind of pressure situation before. Um, I, I, I think it's probably a little bit of an advantage because I think he knows uh, how to get his team ready. And, and, and the procedures and the practices. And, you know, even when we played in the national championship, <clears throat> you know, we, we, did th we didn't change anything. We still had certain days were run, run days and some days were play action and run days. And uh, you keep things as normal as you can, but we all know it's, it's not normal. But, uh, you know, I think he, I would think him being there as many times, he knows how to prepare his team to play in this type of game. You know, the one thing I would say is I, I totally agree with Rick that uh, experience does many times win off in the end. And I believe that pay, I, I believe that was the exact case last year. In that fourth quarter, I think uh, Dabo's experience being in that big game 
probably showed on Ryan Day and even Justin Fields. You know, uh, Trevor had been there. Dabo had been there. Clemson Tigers had been there. And Ohio State had not been with that particular group in that semifinal game. And I just believe that, you know, the eyes got big and the lights and the headlights got too bright. Right there in those final closing moments, I think experience really or inexperienced, you know, perhaps showed. They didn't take, uh, I think it was a a field goal or a two-point play when they should have, which was common sense. I just think it was a little bit in the moment. So having said that, I think Ryan is the guy that's going to have grown a lot over this last 12 months. Now, Nick is the master. I'm I'm a big Nick fan. Uh, Man, he's going for number seven. But uh, I do think Ryan closed that gap, perhaps, having learned a few hard lessons after last year. And – I think Ryan will be a whole lot better when the lights come on this time. Are you surprised, either either one of you, um, that there has been absolutely no drop off for Ohio State after Meyer, you know, retired or whatever you want to call it? I, I, I you know, Coach Day, uh, you know, he's a good coach, but he was inexperienced as a head coach when he took over. I honestly didn't know if he'd be able to keep it going at the level Urban Meyer had got it to. Are you guys surprised he's just kept it rolling? Well, I'm not myself because I I officed next to Ryan Day in Philadelphia in 2015. All right. He was coming out of Boston College, been a a successful offense coordinator at Temple on up to uh, BC. We finally got him to be our quarterback coach with Philadelphia Eagles. And uh, I remember the first few times I met this guy, I went straight to Chip and said, Chip Kelly, and said, Where in the world did you get this guy? He is off the chart, intellectual high IQ, uh, bright-eyed guy, and he's sharp as ever. Now, he's he ran that gamut with us, went to San Francisco, uh, came to Ohio State. Uh, he GA'd under Urban. Uh, so now, having said all that, he's done a great job, just like Lincoln Riley's done a great job taking over for Stoops. The real test for Ryan in terms of judgment of the program long-term will be even another year or two from now. Once all the kids are gone, Maybe he loses some support staff here and there. Got to keep building his own staff, discipline, weight room, recruiting. But to this point, I would say, no, I'm not dis- I'm not uh, uh, surprised at all by what he's done. He's a total clone of, of Urban. He's been around him before. Uh, they're just keeping that machine rolling as it is right now. And for me, I don't know, Ryan, but I'm glad to hear Rick talk about him because, you know, that's a, I mean, that's a great coaching job. And it would really take um, uh, a big force to probably screw it up. So obviously, you know, he had the talent to do that. And I think that's a program. But I think, you know, you still got to hustle just like everybody else and, and recruit the guys in there. And like Rick said, as, you know, another couple of years when he's kind of got his own bunch in there is when it's going to show up the greatest, I think. Coach, uh, coaches, I want to ask you something uh, real quick, uh, Bubba, and I'll let you do. I'll ask them next. But speaking of coaching jobs, not to screw up, nice segue. Um, we'll get back to the championship game in just a second. Uh, Coach Minter, we were talking about it before pre-show. Uh, what do they have to do down in, in Texas there in Austin? I mean, you know, they've got more money than God. They've got more money than uh, any other program in the country. And I don't. I, I was telling Coach Minter, I think with East Carolina, if we had that much money, we'd probably maybe we'd do even worse because you got all these buyouts, and we we can buy the coach out because we have so much money. But I'm just wondering, what does it take for Texas to be in the in the playoffs, so to speak? 
I, I tell you what they're going to have to do. I think they made a good hire, but I thought so four years ago also. I really was a believer in Tom Herman that he was a good fit for that program. He had GA'd there. He had grown up in Texas. Uh, and what he had done at Houston, you know, getting it up to 12-0, and 0, uh, breaking the glass ceiling for the group of five. Uh, I thought he was the right man for the job. As it turned out, he was not. But there's an extremely high standard down there in Texas. And uh, the, the powers that be say we deserve every bit of uh, opportunity to be great like A&M went out and paid for it with Jimbo. Uh, exactly what uh, 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 Lincoln Riley showing that he's able to do up in Oklahoma, being the, uh, in the playoffs all four years and uh, up until this year, I should say. Uh, so they have a standard. Uh, do they have money? Sure, but money doesn't buy success. It gets you a good coach for the you know right off the bat, but it doesn't buy you success. If there's an opportunity uh, for Shark to get the job done there, I think he can get it done. It'll be a Nick Saban blueprint sprinkled in with his own expertise. They'll recruit well. There'll be kids around that state that's kind of a seven-on-seven type state right now that wants to go and throw the ball around. They see what Alabama's doing on offense. But they're going to have to get to where they beat Oklahoma on a regular basis for them to get into the national playoff talk because that's what Oklahoma has done is beaten Texas quite a few times over these last four or five years. Coach Minner, um, we'll, we'll get back to the national championship game here in a minute, but I want to talk about another job. But we're going to talk about coaching carousel. Uh, where were you at Marshall? Were you at Marshall under Doc or what was it under um, the previous coach? I was under uh, previous coach Mark Schneider. And okay, I was there 0809, which turned out to be Mark's last two years. Uh, our final year there, which was 09, we went six and six. Uh, that was just enough to get Mark fired because he'd been there for five total years already. And then I took the team over as an interim. We went to a bowl game. We won that bowl game. By that time, they had named Doc Holliday. That's right. And he has done an outstanding job there. It's ironic. I spent, I don't know if you guys knew this, <clears throat> I spent for 10 weeks in Hattiesburg. Well, yeah, we talked once when I was in Hattiesburg uh, this this fall from October to the mid-December. But the guys on that Hattiesburg staff down there are connected to Marshall, right? Because there is a lot of connection between Jay Hobson and Southern Miss and Marshall, et cetera. They told me from the beginning of the time I was there that Doc would not be back. And I said, what? I mean, the guys only average about nine or ten wins every year. And he wins the league, seemed like every other year. And he's done a tremendous job there. He's a master recruiter. He's done a great job. They put a good team on the field. Uh, and it's a, you know, but we know there's other extenuated circumstances. And the knock was they weren't raising any money. They're a cash poor program. People's skills got involved. And so somehow they just decided not to renew the contract. But you talking about a guy that has put up a resume over 10 years now. That, he's done a tremendous job there. And I just texted him yesterday. And Doc and I don't know each other all that well. But just as one former guy to another former guy with a job well done, I said, Doc, you just did a hell of a job up there. And I congratulate you. Sorry what happens. But as we know, crap happens in this business. It's not always justified. Yeah, I, I don't. That, that really came as a shock to me. And, and the fact that you're saying that the staff at USM was saying it was going to happen back yeah. then when it looked like they were going to win the league. I know they lost yeah. the last three in a row, including their bowl. But, you know, Mike Hamrick, their AD, you know, supposedly wanted to extend his contract, and the, and the board of trustees wouldn't approve it. Right. And, that's uh, that's the know, rumor. Yep. It, it, it is crazy that, you know, the, the fan base, uh, for whatever reason, weren't embracing him. I mean, I, I know 
they, you know, back when Pruitt was there, they, they were winning the MAC every year and FCS or 1AA national championships before going to the MAC. And, uh, you know, but when, when you look at today, modern college football and playing in Conference USA versus 1AA or the MAC, and I think Doc Holliday's success has been somewhat comparable to Bob Pruitt's. And oh, it, absolutely. It, just, it yeah. shocks me that they fired him. I'm sure Doc's going to land on his feet, I would imagine. A lot of ACC schools, because his recruiting ability in that area, are, are going to be contacting him about a position coach. Um, but I, I just, I, I'm shocked by it. Coach Bustle, did, did, yeah. you, did you have a relationship with Doc Holliday at all? Well, I knew him a little bit because we both recruited South Florida a lot when I was at Virginia Tech. And he's a good guy. Uh, <clears throat> you know, and, 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 you know, it's in the end of these daggone hit jobs. Sometimes you got to please the right people, you know. and Sometimes I think, you know, even though that you win, you do, you know, you hurt somebody's feeling it's a, you know, a supporter guy or whatever. But, uh, you know, and I've said this for some years. I said, you know, we, this is a great profession we win, but it sucks as a business. I mean, that, it's a great profession. Wouldn't, I wouldn't do it over for, for, I mean, I'd do it all over again. Yeah. But the business side of it, it's it's crappy, and, uh, and that's just kind of the way I looked at it uh, for some years. And uh, you know, the good guys a lot of times finish last. And you got to wonder what makes it even interesting for me is now with Hamrick, their AD. Uh, and you know, believe me, I, we all know Mike Hamrick. He was uh, the AD East Carolina at one point, and no love lost between you know us and Mike Hamrick to be honest. But it puts Mike in a weird situation now. He didn't want to fire the guy, uh, was forced out, and now he's got to go make the hire. So uh be interesting to see how, how that dynamic works between him and the uh, and the board and, and their chancellor. It, it'll be definitely something to keep your eyes on, uh, even for Mike himself, again, according to the stories that were floating around. Um, you know, it's, it's like Rick said, you know, and I we, we've been there. It's just the, sometimes the smaller the community, the – the less number of influentials uh, there are, and they seem to be more powerful than they need to be at mm -hmm. times. And if you don't please them, uh, they're more easily offended. Uh, Doc's personality is one that he's a worker. He's a grinder. Man, he loves to recruit, works his guys' mm -hmm. butts off. Uh, is he the smoozer that's going to go sit down at the corner bar and have a beer all the time? Probably not because he's a pro. He's a professional football coach. And he got the production done on the field. And if that offended people, then, you know, so, so much to them, you know. But uh, Bobby Prude, on the other hand, was the exact opposite. You know, he was a Barry Switzer of Huntington. You know, he could recruit. Uh, he could hire great coaches. But he knew how to smooth the people. And uh, he became ingratiated in, uh, there in Huntington. I mean, he's got a, a bar and restaurant or he used yeah. to have. I mean, he just, it's just personality sometimes. It just rubs people the wrong way. But you talk about results, and I've been there. All jobs are challenging. And when that Marshall job is rolling, it is a fun, fun place to be in. It's a passionate town about that plane crash of, of uh, 50, 60 years ago. And, uh, uh, but I feel for Doc. Uh, we've all been there. And uh, it's non-deserving whatsoever. But uh, as, we, as Rick and I would tell you, there's nothing fair about the profession. We do it all over again. No, yeah, and you're right. It's funny how, you know, we, we had a beloved head coach here, Ruffin McNeil, 
that was kind of, you know, you talk about a small amount of people having too much influence, you know, kind of part of the knock on rough was, uh, you know, he treated people like, uh, like me, uh, you know, and nobody the same way as he treated the big donors. He was nice to everybody. And somehow that rubbed people the wrong way. Well, I, what I hear, Ruff's a nice guy. It's like Rick said, sometimes yeah. nice guys finish last. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, you know, whoever steps into that job, there's always somebody that will take it. But they're going to have to. They better come in with their eyes wide open. And, but there's somebody's going to take it. No doubt about it. Uh, guys, speaking of another coaching, uh, we're, since we're on the subject of coaching carousel and the kind of one that's another one to shake your head. Uh, you guys have been around the business. What about uh, we know about the fans in Auburn, but that Auburn situation—not uh, that I'm surprised—but then again, I thought that Coach Malzahn was a good coach, and I understand you got the the guys there in Tuscaloosa, what they're doing in Alabama. But um, Auburn—I I, just—that's another one that it feels like it's a coaching change just for a change. Well, if you know anything about what goes on at Auburn, uh, there's not very many decisions made at the presidential and even the AD level there. There's a group of guys, you know, out back that uh, somewhat control most of the dealings that go on at Auburn. Always have, it seems like, all the way back to Coach Dye and the great job he did there. You know, they ran Tommy out of there after a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, like you say, that's maybe a different group in Huntington, but there was a group in Auburn that pretty much controls that thing. I don't think they've ever, for some reason, whether it's Gus didn't uh, find himself rubbing shoulders with those guys over there in the in the, in the the back shop, but uh, they didn't like him from the beginning. And I don't know mm-hmm. why. Uh, Gus and I happen to be both Henderson State graduates over in Arkansas. I don't know Gus all that well, but he's a good man and a hard worker has come up the hard way through the high school ranks. And he just, you know, he's just out for the kids and does all that good stuff. And he goes down there, wins a national title as a coordinator, comes back, does a good, solid job as a head coach, good enough for them to give him a seven-year, $50 million deal. But you knew the minute they signed that darn thing, how long was that going to last? And uh, it didn't last very long. Now, he's walking away with a nice parting gift. But uh, yeah, I was you know, doing jobs myself, but I didn't quite hang in there long enough. <laughs> you know, everybody says what what I don't like about coaches being hired and fired. The fans' reaction, they said, "Oh well, well, at least he's got a lot of money." You know, we didn't get into this game to coach for money. Yeah. Uh, and there's guys that make a lot now. I'm all happy for them and everything. But when you when you're a head coach, that's been your goal. That's been your life's work to become that head coach. And when you no longer get to be that head coach, your life changes. I call it the view that your view of everything changes. And uh, it doesn't have anything to do with money. Yeah, he'll, he'll, he'll have a lot of nice Christmases with the parting gift, but his life is no longer the same because he's not the head coach and someone took that opportunity away from him. And I just like uh, Doc, you hope Gus Miles on, lands on his feet, gets another job and another program opportunity because he'll win wherever he goes. He is a winning coach. Well, what, what I find interesting about the Auburn situation is, and it's nothing against Coach Harrison, you know, he did a nice job at Arkansas State, and then and then he kept Boise State rolling. But, I mean, I, I don't look at, at Coach Harrison and, and think, wow, he's he's a he's an upgrade from Gus Malzahn. I mean, that's what, you know, to me, if you're going to make a change, like getting rid of a guy successful as Gus, you, you need to make sure you, you got a wow hire and, I don't know how Auburn fans feel, but to me, I was like, well, okay, it's 
you hired another coach. Yeah. Sometimes I'm not going to judge. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Rick. Sometimes the school gets that reputation of, of, uh, you know, it's not good enough and they don't want to get, you know, get turned down by too many people. They all got their pride sitting out there in front of them. And, uh, you know, because it it happens too often. Yeah. Well, talking about Tennessee. The other thing, too, (laughs) is that, is it always the coach that makes the job or does the job help make the coach? Uh, you know, not every place is equal. Not every place has an opportunity to win uh, on a successful basis. I, and I can tell you this right now with Rick sitting here, if if Frank Beamer would have been a head coach today, he'd have never made it. He'd have never made it because it took patience for that job. Rick, yeah. you tell me if I'm wrong. Yeah. I think about the sixth year. Did it really kick in with the foundation they laid and yeah. the recruiting they did? And then from six years on to the next yeah. until Frank retired, it was as good a place and good a job and as tough a team to play as anybody. So, yeah, the coach makes the job, but sometimes the job uh, helps make the coach. The, when it's perfect is when everybody's on the same page and they give guys time and they give them uh, patience to develop their culture and what they're trying to get done. And that's what happened at Bob Tech. It turned into a national power. And uh, there's a lot of good jobs out there like that, just waiting for the right, you know, touch by the new coach. Yeah, Coach Manor, what what you're saying um, recently, I heard Coach Beamer when Shane got the job down at South Carolina and we had Coach Bustle on to talk about that several weeks ago. But – Gamecock Central, uh, I believe that's the rival's affiliate for South Carolina. But anyway, they had an interview of about 20 or 25 minutes with um, Frank Beamer. And and Coach Beamer was just talking about, he he said the very thing that you said. He said, said, you're not going to get to year seven now. Yeah, that's right. Well, these these schools, they're making so much money these days, a lot of those type schools. And, I mean, how, how they pay people off like they do, I don't know. You know, so. I mean, it's a, it's a, you know, you can get you a good contract, which, you, you know, you may not be there at the end of it if you don't win games. But, guys, um, Coach Kyle, Russell, um, go ahead, Kyle. No, go, go ahead. We got some lag there. You were before me. Go ahead. No, Kyle, here just a few minutes ago, you referenced the success that Coach Minner and Coach Bustle had had, you know, competing for national championships. Um, Coach Bustle at Virginia Tech playing for one in the Sugar Bowl back in 99 with Michael Vick. And then, um, you know, Coach Coach Minner is the defense coordinator at Notre Dame. Um, Coach Minner, I want to ask you about that. And back in 93, when you guys lost the heartbreaker at home, excuse me, won a heartbreaker and won the – game at home against Florida State, then lost a heartbreaker yeah. at home to Boston College after that, and then uh, were, um, you know, knocked out of the national championship pitcher and finished second after you were winning the Cotton Bowl. Uh, talk about that and, um, you know, how, how nice it had been to have the, have the college football playoff back then. Well, even if the BCS would have been in play back then, we'd have probably played Florida State again. But uh, uh, the, the playoffs, we'd have definitely been in the playoffs. Uh, what what really disappointed all of us back then was the fact we won a game at home against, uh, uh, you know, the game of the century, they called it back then. Next week, we get uh, upset at home uh, in the in a final kick of the game. And on simultaneously on the same Saturday, uh, Florida State goes down to NC State and wins like 62 to nothing or something like that. Puts a real butt whipping on the Wolfpack. 
So it kind of kept everybody's frame of mind. And, uh, but we would have thought we go down and play the uh, A&M in the Cotton Bowl, second year in a row we played them. And it kind of was a so-so game. And what we needed to happen that year was for Florida State to go to the Orange Bowl and barely win, us go to the Cotton Bowl and try to win big and let the chips fall where they were. And that's what happened. And what, what we would have thought would have occurred, and, and uh, it kind of shows you where coaches' emotions are sometimes. We thought the press, the back then they awarded the two trophies. So the press was going to give Bobby Bowden his title, just kind of his turn, so to speak. And when the coaches went to vote that next morning, and when they saw us have identical records and we beat Florida State head-to-head, we were, we were so desperately wanting the coaches' poll. And therefore, rightfully, it would have been a split national championship, which would have been only fair. But it did happen. All the coaches voted against Lou in Notre Dame and gave it to Bobby. And, uh, those, you know, so we were second. That's the way that one went, you know. Coach Menner, um, how, uh, how was it for you? Uh, I know, as, you know, being an East Carolina guy here, uh, I was rooting for Cincinnati hard to beat Georgia in the Peach Bowl. Um, I know you coached Cincinnati for a long time. Yep. Uh, you know, your former players, you know, Goduli's on staff there. Uh, how was that for you watching that the other day? Uh, it, it was, I had a knot in my stomach. Uh, I was almost as bad as watching the East Carolina game, just hoping my conference brethren would, uh, beat the big, bad SEC team. And, uh, unfortunately fell one point short and a lot of ifs and what's and coulds and woulds. I told Bubba in the beginning of the fourth quarter or late third quarter, I said, I wouldn't throw another pass. I said, I believe yeah. they don't turn it over. Yeah. I yeah. said, I believe if they don't turn it over, uh, that I don't think Georgia can score on them two more times. And sure enough, he threw a pick six. And eh, well, how was I it tell for you? you. <laughs> no, I tell you what, it was. I've grown close to that program more so in the last few years than uh, more recently after I was let go. So I've become fans and friends of Luke Fickle and Marcus Freeman and that entire staff up there, particularly Geno's on the staff, John Tenuta's on the staff, a bunch of other good guys are up there. So I've really followed them with great interest and when they got the bid to play georgia you know we've all played sec games uh you knew they were up against it a little bit but you knew their defense would give them a chance to to hang in there and play and the and the georgia offense was nothing you know overwhelming and uh you had to give a crap factor by the sec which happens to them occasionally so the stage was set for uc to go down there and pull this thing off and for three and a half quarters they did but i'm like you uh, I thought clock mismanagement in the closing minutes of the game really, really hurt them. I'd have never thrown the ball on third and two on the final drive of the game for Cincinnati. Punt the ball away, use up 40 more seconds, and they'd have never had time to do what they did, which was kick the game-winning field goal. You know, happy for them, yeah. Disappointed for them, more so. And I think so many times those decisions by coaches, and I know we can second-guess ourselves and or our peers, but uh, they gave it a great effort. It was valiant effort, great showing, because they weren't just playing for UC. They were playing for all the group of five schools out there that are trying to break that ceiling to get into the argument of deserving to play in the playoffs, you know, down the road. So there was more than just, you know, a, a Cincinnati win riding on that thing. There was a lot of national implications riding on it. But I thought clock mismanagement really hurt them in the final analysis and some play calling choices. But my heart bled with them all the way. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, I go back to wanting an 18 playoff with your five power five champions, your highest ranked team from the group of five, and then two at largest. That would be eight teams. And what if that Georgia Cincinnati game was a playoff game? That would have been a heck of a playoff game. Oh, heck yeah. 
So I understand why they did not. Uh, I didn't like the fact that whenever they missed some games due to COVID, they kept falling in the uh, standings by not playing. And the Ohio State team stayed yeah. right where they were. And then, of course, they got in at six. So you can argue those types of things. But does the American Conference play the strength level of the SEC and the ACC and the Big Ten every, you know, every week? No, they really don't. They can only play the teams put on their schedule. And Cincinnati played extremely well all year. It was an undefeated season going into the bowl game. They did a great show in the bowl game and just came within seconds of winning that darn thing. No, no doubt. And uh, I'm like you. I, I don't like that they, you know, fought, you know, they, they missed two games because of COVID. And uh, they just kept falling in the, in the polls while Ohio State kept rising. But here's what it is. That's the, uh, that's the plight of a so-called group of five team. Um, Coach Bustle, I wanted to ask you, we, we mentioned uh, – Shane Beamer uh, being at South Carolina earlier. Uh, what do you What do you think so far about the staff he's putting together? I was a little surprised to hear him retain uh, Coach Bobo. Not that Coach Bobo is not a great offensive coach because he is and very experienced. But I kind of thought that uh, he he may want to be bringing in uh, a a Lincoln Riley style offense. That was the rumor early on. Were you surprised to see him retain Coach Bobo? I, I was. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, I didn't know who he might bring in, but I kind of felt like Shane being in that offense and seeing the success and uh, that they had that uh, he would maybe try to do something like that. But, uh, you know, I mean, of course, I live here in Athens. And, uh, honestly, it's about 50 50 on Bobo. I, I don't know him. Uh, they were, you know, glad when he got here and glad when he left. But I've been on the end of that one too. So, uh, you know, it was uh, – I don't know much about him. Uh, yeah, they weren't very good last year. And, and, I, and I, honestly, and again, Rick, Rick may agree or disagree, but, you know, at South Carolina, they're putting off a lot of people. And coaches, a bunch of money that they're letting go. And I don't know if that saves them any money or not. I don't I – don't, you never know. But sometimes they get involved in who you can hire. Yeah, if they were going to retain Coach Bobo, I, I do think it's good that they were able to, you know, bring in uh, Will Friend, the offensive line coach from Tennessee, and uh, him having experience together not only at the University of Georgia but then also at um, Colorado State as well. Right. Well, uh, yeah, I, I wish them the best. Uh, I, I don't know who all we've hired so far. Um, I, I've known you know, Bobo and Friend, and, and um, I think he's kept uh, running back coach. And, uh, yeah, I just, uh, you know, I just hope he does has a good year. South Carolina's a tough job. You know, Rick, Rick knows that too. And, yeah. Um, you know, I played at Clemson and all that stuff, but I coached one over Brad Scott in and ran the offense for him there. And, but I, you know, I used to pass that school in that stadium every time I'd come from Blackburg. We'd go around that loop around there and go by the stadium. I'd always sit there and think, or even tell my wife, that is just a hard job right there. And, I wish Shane the best. And I'm never going to put my finger on it because um, they've got money. They, they support the, the uh, school. Um, but, you know, they just have a tough time staying at a level of the SEC. It, it is a tough job. Uh, you know, I was talking to my son about it the other day, being in the SEC. I've, I've coached there a couple of times, you know, Kentucky, mm -hmm. South Carolina. They're, they're about the same. Uh, there's, there's a pecking order in the SEC. And, uh, you know, when you're in that East 
typically you're talking about Florida, Georgia, Tennessee, although they've given people an opportunity to, to crack it. And then all of a sudden, Stoops has done a great job at Kentucky, getting that thing up to 9-10. Uh, Steve did a good job there. Lou had some moments. Steve Sprayer had some moments. Uh, Will never really got it going. Um, but it's a tough job. It's just that middle of the road job where your aspirations are nine and 10. And yet the reality is probably more like six, seven and eight uh, mm-hmm. on a good year. But uh, sometimes the fans don't want to, they don't want to hear that. You know, they get spoiled by their own successes sometimes. Yeah. And, and for the East Carolina fans watching, as we do originate out of Greenville, South Carolina comes to Greenville to Dowdy Ficklin Stadium. Game number two of the 2021 season. Shane Beamer's second game as head coach. And Coach Mike Houston uh, returns all but two starters as he hits into year number three, coming off blowout wins of SMU and Temple to close the 2020 season. So I'm not calling for the upset. I'm just pointing it out. In very East Carolina, Carolina, I'm telling yeah, you. That's what you guys do. Y'all can call it any way you want. <laughs> I mean, you and Kyle, another scheduling over. note as far as South Carolina, the Pirates were obviously supposed to play um, South Carolina uh, in 2020, and uh, we, we did not with everything that's going on. So that game has been rescheduled for 2027. So um, you know, getting back to South Carolina staff, we talked about retaining Coach Bobo. And, yeah, a lot of times you'll see one or two guys retained um, but Coach Beamer decided to retain four in, in addition to Mike Bobo, a retained defensive line coach Tracy Rocker, uh, outside backers coach Mike Peterson, running back coach Des Kitchens, uh, who was a uh, he, he played in South Carolina at the at Furman University and then has done a solid job uh, wherever he's coached. You know, the one thing I would say about Shane, and, and certainly Rick knows him a lot better than I do, but whenever you go in and take a job, the natural tendency that everybody thinks you ought to do is clean house, get rid of everybody and start over. And it kind of attributes to him, to be honest with you, that he's able to go in there and either had pre-existing friendships or just literally like man to man, went down there and sit down and talk to these guys and found out that, you know, their allegiance could easily turn right to Shane Beamer and didn't have to stay with Will Muschamp, you know, because we're all chameleons. We can all change colors in a heartbeat. But for him to reach out and keep four guys really shows me a little bit more about Shane than uh, on the positive side, that he listened to people or he interviewed them and gave them a chance. And uh, in the process, might have saved the school a little bit of money. That's just a sidebar. But uh, Tracy was on my staff at Cincinnati for one year. He's a heck of a guy. He's an Alvin Trophy winner down at Auburn. He knows the SEC. I mean, you just start with the D-line coach, okay? You get rid of that guy. All right, so you want to find you a real tough hombre who is a minority coach and can coach D-line. Or you just push one out the door. Who are you going to go find better than Tracy Rocker? You know, so you have to almost look at it that way. There's some good coaches there in South Carolina. Give Will credit. He hired good coaches. And Shane just was the beneficiary, decided to keep some of them. I don't know Mike Bobo very well. But, uh, uh, and, you know, he'll be more critical of that hire than any of the other hires, you know terms of uh, the fan interest but uh, you give Shane credit for going in there and evaluating and talking to them and and uh, maybe giving some of those guys a chance to just stay right there where they were and uh, didn't have to have them uproot their families and everything else shows a lack of ego absolutely absolutely yeah I uh I, I know uh, and we'll get off South Carolina but I, I don't know 
uh, if they ever hired their defensive coordinator. I know at one point he was interviewing um, – Oh, God, I'm terrible with names, guys. This is a big problem of mine. Vanderbilt. Derek Mason. Yeah, Coach Mason from Vanderbilt, yeah. which I thought would have been a great hire. What a great defensive mind. I, I don't know that he ever got it done. Uh, do you know, Bubba? No, no, no. No one has been named, and I have not seen that Derek Mason is not in the running uh, by any means. So that, that could still happen. Uh, and – you know, kind of going back to what you, Coach Manning was saying, uh, yeah, um, when I when I brought that up, I wasn't necessarily saying that that was uh, negative by any means, and I, and um, time will tell. But um, kudos to to Shane. Obviously, nobody wants to have success any more than him going in there and taking his head job. So, but um, like Kyle said, putting his uh, being humble enough to have those conversations and not making change for the sake of change. Well, I just got a feeling if, if he's anything – and, Rick, you can speak to this. Yeah. If Shane Beamer's anything like his dad, he's going to be thoughtful. He's going to be thorough yeah. in this thought process. He's going to be detailed. Uh, he's been around some other people since being around his dad, and that's only helped. Uh, my son was working for me. Now he's working here with the Ravens in Baltimore. So it's good that our kids branch out and find all new ways of doing things and get a breath of fresh air. I think he was with uh, Steve down there first and then he ends up over at Oklahoma so he's been exposed to a lot of good football since Vatech days and uh, puts all that together makes up his uh, repertoire of things that all of us as young head coaches say we always wanted to do if we became head coaches and uh, he'll have a great emphasis on special teams which got Vatech going as quick as any team in the country Uh, whenever you can carry into a ball game, you always say as an old statement, you want to dominate two phases of every game, you know, try to chance win. And if you can just put it in your hip pocket that you're going to win the special teams every game, that's a big advantage for you. Then you hope that your O or your D carries the other side if need be. But uh, I think that's going to be a fun staff to watch develop. Are they up against it just naturally with uh, uh, the pulse of the SEC? Yeah, they are. But – you know, what made all those teams get challenged this year was they played 10 games and every darn one of those suckers were SEC football games. Yeah. You know? So you wonder why Vandy goes 0-10. You wonder why Will can't win enough games because they don't get those other two, three, four games that wise scheduling needs to take place so they have a chance to sustain their program. Yeah, no doubt. I, uh... Kind of shifting gears to some of the um... – you know, other issues with college football earlier when we were talking about that Texas job, you, know, you were talking about how in this day and age of college football, you know, how you have to uh, be player friendly and, um, you know, have the standards that you need to have at the program. But at the same time, um, you know, be a player's coach to an extent and have that rapport. Uh, so we just talk about uh, some of the things, um, such as you know, like the, like the early signing day, and then also the potential, you know, to, to transfer without sitting out. And what are your thoughts on some of those things? You know, there's some things coming along in college football where, quite honestly, I, I'm I'm not all that sad. I'm not going to be a big part of it. It doesn't appear uh, as I'm kind of sitting more on the outside than on the inside right now. This one-time transfer thing is not a good rule in my estimation. That's just my opinion. You work hard to get kids to commit and stay in your program. Uh, Occasionally, you don't save them all. They have a chance to go other places, but they have to pay a price. They have to go somewhere. You have to sit out, have to establish themselves. I'm not for an open-door revolving policy that 
NCAA basketball is turning into, and that's all football is going to turn into, is a free-for-all. There's going to be poaching going on all over the place uh, when the, when a school loses a marquee guy. And I feel for the mid-majors, not necessarily the big boys, but the mid-majors. Wow. If they get a hot-shot guy going, he's going into his third or fourth year, and he's really developed a uh, late bloomer. Uh, however you, you know, however you want to call those developmental players that's begun to shine, uh, they're going to end up at these big programs because they're going to, you know, deservedly, they want a shot at their day in the sun and level of competition to see if they can't survive at the biggest level out there. That's fine. But in the old days, you would say, well, if you want to transfer, then you got to go sit out of here, establish yourself, et cetera. Now you can just go at the drop of a hat. Then what does that program do? everybody's going to start poaching everybody. See exactly what goes on in recruiting before the signing date even occurs. Now, once you get them and develop them, it's going to be the same thing all over. So that part of it, I don't like, I don't know what's about to take place with this financial implication of this image and likeness. I think that's going to be a huge headache for all programs. It's going to be legalized cheating at its best. It's going to become professionalized sports. Uh, it's not so much that you're putting money in the hands of players, which I'm, I'm for doing. I am for adding more money to the hands of players, but it needs to be all equal like it has been so far. The, the, la- the latest move six, eight years ago was when they could do the cost of attendance, get those stipend checks up there pretty good. You know, a kid right now can make about 10 grand a year with his Pell Grant, with his cost of education. That's $1,000 a month. Now, if a college kid can't make it on $1,000 a month, okay, he's hurting. And uh, But if you start adding money under the table, or it really won't be under the table anymore, it'll be right out front. But it's going to destroy the locker room. Uh, when you mm-hmm. start getting professional-like money given to certain aspects of your team, it's going to destroy the morale of your team from within. And uh, you think it's a hard time for pros to handle that sometimes. Wait till it's an 18- to 22-year-old go trying to handle uh, the pressures of he being the chosen one. He's got to go down to the car dealership and he's got to cut a deal. Uh, so all this kind of stuff, I don't think I'm going to miss. Uh, these are new challenges. Well, I'm going to go back to the transfer rule again because I, I was at Lafayette, Louisiana for nine seasons. And, you know, we did develop some kids. The kids that went to the NFL, um, uh, you know, and, and those guys, we have made it so easy for them guys to come try out. They don't know what they're doing. They're trying you out. You know, when, when you come, you know, you develop them and, and, and they can leave with these, these one-year wonders can come into the school and they don't like something. And they want to transfer to somebody else that was recruiting them. You know, I just, you know, it, it's, I just don't think it's fair. I, I think it's bad. I think it's bad. And, you know, but I know at Lafayette, we got into some guys that were sophomores, juniors. You know, you'd hear them. You know, and I've heard them actually say, you know, if I was your size when I was in high school, I'd have gone to someone. So I'd have gone to them old boys are leaving. You know, the ones we, you know, the type of kids we had at Lafayette, they developed into something really, really good, really special. I mean, they were some good kids and all that stuff, but they weren't playing for the good ones. No, I, I'm with you both. I, I think it's a terrible rule. I think uh, I think Coach Minter, you, you, you nailed it on the head with the poaching. You know, you, you take a kid. I'll give you an example. East Carolina had a freshman running back this year, Roger Harris, 
who uh, who just lit it up, had, had several hundred-yard games in a row, came out of nowhere. He's from South Carolina. Now, you know, what if that rule was in place this year and the Gamecocks needed a running back? And by the same token, the other way around. What, 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 what if you're the second-string quarterback at South Carolina and, you know, East Carolina needs a starter next year and, you know, you're going to be riding the bench with the Gamecocks? Uh, well, I'll just go ahead and transfer to East Carolina and be the starter. So I think, I think you have guys that will be studs you know, at the group of five level that get poached by power five teams. And then the guys who are second and third string at some of these power five schools will transfer to group of five schools to get playing time right away. So I think it's going to be a mess. Yeah, it's, 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 we've, we've, made it so, we've made it so easy for them to do it. I mean, oh, yeah. it, it's so easy to do that. So they can come with you. And if they don't like you and after three months, four months, or they don't like what's going on, it's too easy. It's just weak. That's, that's, that's not feeling on anyone. Yeah, Coach Bustle, I'm just talking about the ease of it, and I, I, I'll leave the player's name out of it, but the Pirates this year, um, I thought about this since um, your comment, but also what Kyle was saying as far as Rajay Harris, the, the star freshman running back for East Carolina. You had a, a grad transfer running back coming in from the University of Arkansas, and um, you know he, he saw he saw what the deal was from the, the quality of Rajay Harris as well as another freshman Keaton Mitchell, and uh, he opted out from there three or four games into the season, and now he is uh, rejoining his former coach um, Brett Bellina, uh, you know, up at Illinois. Yeah, so the kid's gone from Arkansas to East Carolina to Illinois in a year. Yeah. You know, the other thing, too, Rick and I would say is what are just some of the simple logistics? Let's say I got three or four stars that have emerged uh, and somewhere, I don't know what time of the year, whether it be at mid-year or during the summer, those three dudes just decide they got them a new home somewhere. Yeah. What's my ability to replace those three guys? What are they going to do with allowances of your 25 initials? Let's say I signed 25 during February. And over the summer, six guys decide to bolt out to some other program. Are we going to be allowed to go get six more guys? Because all we're going to do is start poaching someone else's roster down lower than us a little bit. It's just going to turn into a mess and a free-for-all. And uh, it's not going to be good for the sport. Not not for competitive balance. Not, and it's where the rich will get richer, as they always say. It doesn't give the little man or a middle man a chance to develop anybody and keep a star. Uh, there's so much uh, uh, riding on things with kids getting to the highest level they can, try to get in the NFL, try to make yeah. money. Uh, there's just a lot of logistics. Uh, but a quick story, when I went down to Southern Miss again, I was just talking, and these coaches were telling me about these new rules. And they said one of the schools in the SEC, the minute they heard about this rule, about this one-time transfer, they start they their personnel office, and, and all of them have big old personnel offices now. They all broke down every film of every group of five school and, and ranked and listed all the stars. In other words, if we had a chance at this school to grab that player, where you know, where is he and what would he play? Can he help us? Is he better than some of the guys we have? And there's better players at every school that's in the group of five. There's some player on a team that's better than an SEC player in a heartbeat, okay, because they grow, they mature, they develop, uh, however they got them. So you're going to find teams purposely f- scouting these guys out on other teams 
and then getting the word out through the street to say, hey, call old so-and-so because they want to talk to you about transferring. It's just going to become like an unrestricted free agent is all it is. And uh, it's just going to spell trouble. Uh, the other question you mentioned earlier about, you know, player friendly, uh, you know, I would never, uh, you know, I was a tough, hard nosed coach. Uh, uh, you know, we demanded a lot of our, you know, out of our players, but I just think players want to uh, coach that'll be honest with them, that'll love them up, that'll uh, work them hard, get the best out of them, be honest with them. Uh, I think the mistake so many young coaches today makes, they all want to be friends with all these players, right? Instead of just being their leader and their mentor and the person who tells them the truth in life. And uh, so I would work my team hard. Um, you know, could you go back in time, be a little more player friendly, a little bit this, a little bit that, laugh a little bit. You got Twitter, you got to dance with them in the locker room when the game's over. You know, you got to do all those things now that, that the young guys do. But uh, I wouldn't trade much of what I did. You know, we came along at the time I did. I had a fun career, and uh, uh, I don't have many regrets. As, as we wind this down, uh, a couple more questions, see where we let you gentlemen go. Uh, Co Coach Minner, I wanted to ask you two things about Southern Miss real fast since you were just there. Yeah. Uh, one, how do you think Coach Will Hall will do? Um, I, I like the hire. Uh, I, I thought he, you know, he's a guy with a lot of ties to Mississippi. His daddy's a legendary high school football coach in Mississippi. Um, like his success as a head coach at the Division Two level. And I like this offense at Tulane. We had to play against it the last couple of years. So I think it seems like a good fit. Uh, so how do you think he'll do there? And when you were in Hattiesburg, did you get a chance to join, to enjoy any uh, Lisa's barbecue? No, I'd missed out on the barbecue there. I went to the Crescent Grill all the time, which is a famous grill. You know, you got that Cajun connected food and everything. But uh, I do think Will is a good hire there. I really do. I had a chance to say hello to him in our little five-minute exchange. Uh, he is all offensive. They have a great system. Uh, it's ironic. I'm in Baltimore right now visiting my children. Um the Ravens brought Will Hall up to visit their staff two years ago. They were picking out three or four of the better young minds in the college game on how they were utilizing RPOs and, and running their modern-day college offenses. And, of course, Giro up here, Greg Roman, and all those guys with Lamar Jackson right now trying to you know build their offensive style. Mm -hmm. uh, they brought, they brought uh, Will up here. He was one of those three or four guys they chose to come and say, come on up here, we want to pick your brain. And they did that. So it kind of shows you the respect he had around the country. He was a great Division II coach, uh, two different stops, did a nice little stop over at Memphis and went down to Tulane and, and was a top 10 offense for one year. Then they slipped back a little bit this year. But like he said, with his uh, personal background growing up right there in Mississippi, his dad's still a Hall of Fame coach down in Mississippi, uh, his ability to recruit, uh, what little odds around him, his ability to relate and uh, – uh, communicate. I think he'll do a great job. Uh, it'll get down to what kind of guys can they get on defense to keep that great defensive tradition going that Southern Miss has always had. And no doubt. And Coach Bustle, I wanted to ask you, um, it, Lafayette, you, you were there for, you know, several years as head coach. Um, right. They got the thing, you know, kind of rolling here in recent years. Um, I, you never know what you hear, if it's true or not, but Supposedly, and again, guys, I'm terrible with names. I promise you, I know my ball and I know my coaches. I just cannot remember people's names. It's a problem I have. Sometimes I forget my own name. But uh, Billy Napier. Billy Napier. Thank Billy you. Napier. Do, do, yeah. do you truthfully believe that he turned down the Auburn job? 
again, I, again, I, I don't know who, who he's listening to. Uh, he may have an agent that said either tried to convince him that wasn't a move for him, or uh, you know, it's, you know, yeah. And I know Billy a little bit. I went down when he first took the job. He called me, and I flew down there and spent a couple of days with him, watching practice with the family together. And I like him. Um, he's very level-headed. Uh, he he really wants to do well, uh, which, which we all do. But just knowing him a little bit, it didn't shock me. But if you're just looking at the two jobs, money-wise and all that kind of, uh, kind of stuff, you know, it's not comparison. Um, so, I mean, I can't – it wouldn't surprise me. I'll say it that way. Just you know, knowing him like I do, and, and spending some time with him, you know, he's he's at a place right now. He's going to bump the And trust me, winning's fun. <laughs> no doubt. I mean, he, he, I mean, he uh, he's got that thing rolling that Lafayette Co mm -hmm. uh, Co Sun Belt Champions uh, this year, and uh, I just you know he, he, that was the story out there that he. That, they offered him the job, and he turned it down. And I just, you know, I know money ain't everything, as Coach Menner was saying earlier, but, man, that's a lot of money to turn down. Yeah, a lot of money. They could have got me for a lot less. <laughs> <laughs> but what about that very thing? It is a good job, but then it's a very tough job, a difficult yeah. job when you have Alabama winning all the time. Yeah. And so you think that you've got to compete with uh, the folks down the street. So – um, I can understand why he didn't take the job. And, and, and Billy worked with uh, with Alabama with Coach Saban, and I don't know that uh, he knows that is an issue at all. And I don't know if he thought that they could do well enough against Alabama year in and year out. He's a sharp guy. I don't. That's that's for you guys to figure out. <laughs> <laughs> not me, not me for sure. That uh, you know, like we were talking about earlier with different uh, places, and maybe even say Tennessee, where there are a lot of places that think they should win a whole bunch of games. And I, there was one point uh, I guess would be great before we let you guys go to make, and that is they were talking about Notre Dame the other day. I was watching television and about how Notre Dame, maybe Coach Miller, you can talk about this being there, but the Notre Dame when you were there and the Notre Dame now. As far as uh, it seems like a lot of the programs, because of the big money, have caught up with Notre Dame, and they were talking about that. And, and the, with some of these schools, though, um, I guess they have the SEC money, and maybe that's why. But they they send they they had the old days when they won a national championship. Texas, Tennessee, we're talking about, and now there are a lot of people like you were talking about earlier in the show. With Kentucky's good now, you know. There's a lot of schools that are good now that were mediocre or not so good and they were very good and that's why they won and now there's a whole bunch of teams that are really good i'll tell you this <clears throat> the one thing that's given everybody an opportunity in college football to win and level the playing field is the spread offense and the option game and the athletic quarterback they've all equalized the field and uh but as far as notre dame goes uh unique notre dame was in a unique period of time around that 87 to 93, 94 period. And they had a guy running the personnel office really ahead of his time back in those days to what people were doing. And it was Vinny Serrata. If anybody knows anything about that. Uh, you know, Vinny, so Vinny, Vinny did a great job mm -hmm. being a player personnel director 
basically at Notre Dame before all these player personnel offices at all these universities now. And Vinny was one of the uh, – Lou let Vinny be one of the nine coaches or even eight coaches back in those days and worked with less coaches on the field for his recruiting guru would be allowed to be on the road recruiting because he was a 24-7 recruiter long before the rules – all these, all these recruiting rules that came about in the late 90s to 2000 were referred to as Notre Dame rules because Vinny Serrata is the one who abused, not abused, but set the standard so high, everybody started bitching and moaning and they changed the rules. You know, cell phones on the sideline when they first started coming out. They, you cannot communicate with kids on the sideline. That started as a Notre Dame rule. Uh, only so many days out recruiting, whereas Vinny was out uh, seven days a week almost, six days a yep. week times 10 weeks in the season. So the point is he accumulated for Lou uh, uh, an enormous amount of talent for about a six- or seven-year run, and that's why Notre Dame was so good. Lou, Lou came so close to having a true dynasty there, just missed a game or two here or there all the time, but the talent level was there. And then when Vinny took off, uh, and the guy they put in charge to replace was not near the same guy, and the talent level dropped off. Now, there's academic standards that uh, Notre Dame has that the other schools don't have. Not every kid in America who's a quality five-star, four-star athlete wants to go to Notre Dame. It's stuck off up in the South Bend. It's going to be gray all the time. It's going to be regimentation. It's going to be structure. Uh, it's going to be highly academic-oriented. Not every kid wants to do that. So a lot of these schools in the SEC – uh, down here in the South, the Sun Belt. I mean, you get tremendous athletes, and some of those guys don't even want to think about going to places like Notre Dame. And so uh, that's why the, the, the schools today that are so dominant, you know, out, are in the South. Ohio State was made to be an SEC team when Urban took the job. He started recruiting that team to be an SEC football team, and that's why they compete with them now, and it looks like one. Brian Kelly finally done a pretty good job of getting Notre Dame back now to where kind of was. It's still not going to be quite there, but they are doing a good job winning their 10, 11, 12, get a shot at the playoffs every now and then. But uh, it's a tough go up there to, to say year in, year out, you're going to play in Alabama or be in Alabama because you're not. You're just not going to get the marquee D lineman. You're not going to get, it appears, very many great quarterbacks. You are going to get great offensive linemen. You're going to get tight ends. You're going to occasionally get good running backs, big tall receivers, but not speedy receivers. And uh, But you get a culture kid there. You get a guy who's there for one reason, and that's life well beyond football. Yeah, no doubt. Coaches, uh, you, Coach Minter, you mentioned Ohio State. As we'll wrap this up now. Uh, if you guys are comfortable doing so, uh, you care to make a pick in the national championship game? I wouldn't be afraid to take Ohio State. Uh, they're going to be a tough you know, I'm, I'm an Alabama fan. I like, I got friends on both staffs. I don't really have a dog in the fight. Uh, I'd be happy if Ryan won his first, and I'd be happy if Nick won his seventh. And uh, I'm a fan of Sharks and what they're doing on offense down there. They're lighting it up. Uh, I think it's a classic matchup. I really do. And it's not going to be a blowout on either side. It's going to be a tough, hard-nosed physical game. Coach Bustle. If if you made me put money on it, I'm putting it on Coach Saban. But I'm gonna kinda of, I'd like to see Ohio State just kind of change, you know, somebody new for new for the game. I mean I, I think I like both teams. But like I said, if I was having to put my next house payment on it, I'd have to put it on Alabama. 
but I'm not. I'm a football Hall of Famer. Yeah. Semifinal games, guys. I was going to pick Alabama all the way, but after the highlights of that Ohio State Clemson game, I, it kind of turned my. I'm glad I, I'm not a betting man because uh, I would have said Alabama easily, but now I'm starting to think that maybe Ohio State can win it. I really do. Yeah, I think Ohio State can win it. I think uh, I think they look really good against Clemson. I think they had payback on their mind a bit against Clemson. I, I just think playing 11 SEC games in a row like Alabama did is going to get you ready for anything. And, uh, you know, they, they obviously handled Notre Dame or 10, however many they played in a row, <laughs> and, then they, and then handled Notre Dame. Um, I, uh, I think Alabama wins another one. Well, another thing, guys, uh, we can talk all night, but I think, I think Ohio State is fresher than Alabama. I really do. I think they've taken less. Uh, only playing seven games is to their advantage. I really do. Yeah, probably. I just think it's great to see Alabama running a, an open offense and Kirk Kirkeson, he's done a great job up there. And I like it. It's great to see. I always wonder what would happen if they start doing that type of athletes they get. It's good to see. It's going to be interesting to see. Coaches, thank you so much for being on with us. It means a lot. And, uh, again, I'm very, as I said, I'm going to show it. I'm just happy that we have a national championship game to talk about. Uh, it's not East Carolina, so uh, I don't have a team, you know, to pull for. So I guess we can be more objective uh, than that. But uh, thank you so much for being on. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out on Monday night. Well, we appreciate you having, having me on. Enjoy. Rick, it was great seeing you. You bet. Appreciate it, Rick. Yourself. Happy birthday again. So uh, appreciate it, fellas. Thanks so much. No All problem. Right. All right. Thanks, man. Coach. Appreciate it very much. Good night. Yeah, All right, guys. Wow. Uh, great show there. Two great uh, coaches we think a lot of and uh, coming on with us. It's great to have them back. And again, uh, it'd be nice to have our East Carolina Pirates in the national championship, but uh, you know what, you Baba or Dave, I, I'd, I'd be happy with the Myrtle Beach Bowl at this point. Oh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, national championship is a pipe dream. I mean, let's just get a bowl. Uh, I, no, uh, and I think we will. I, I legitimately, I will be shocked. Year three, Coach Houston, with the players he's got coming back, the way we were playing football at the end of the year, I will genuinely be shocked if we're not bowling. Uh, the end of next year. Yeah, I said year three, and you guys know that the the coaches, uh, you could see the bright spots this year. We were so we could have easily been a bowl team this year. Yep. Uh, with Navy and Tulsa, so uh, we we're very very close. And I, I think that and you know, I know Bubba, some fall, so things are falling into our lap for a change. It looks like maybe you know Marshall and a guy. I'm not I'm not saying this. I'm, I'm glad Doc got fired, but Marshall all of a sudden is going to have a brand new coaching staff, and you know. There's going to be some turmoil there. The way Doc got let go, it ain't going to go smooth. Whoever gets the job, that's and, the rough uh, thing. App State, you know, lost Tony Peterson unexpectedly. You know, they lost their offensive coordinator, and they're going to have a new offensive coordinator, and a new quarterback as we as we open up with App State, and then of course South Carolina's got a brand new coaching staff. So uh, that non-conference schedule might not be as daunting as it appears to be on paper. Yeah, and then the last game of non-conference, Charleston Southern, you feel like you're definitely going to win that game. Well, you better. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so it's easily you could be two and two or three and one um, without even really flinching. You could you have a chance to even be perfect in non-conference. But and then uh, we'll see how the 
it'll be interesting to see another thing, guys. Uh, we're definitely going to get out of here is about the how the other teams are going to react to will senior stay when they not stay. That's going to be interesting how that's handled in the transfer portal and grad transfers and all that. So we'll see how it all plays out, but had a great time and uh, nice to be talking about football other than whatever's going on. Uh, thanks for sure. Bubba, do you have some stuff you want to talk about? Yeah. A couple other pieces of information. Uh, I know earlier, uh, you know, we, we were talking about, uh, other running backs who departed the program back early in the season. Um, Darius Penix obviously um, battled a lot this year, losing his father um, early in the season prior to the Georgia State game. Um, but he did make the decision to enter the transfer portal. So definitely um, want to wish the best uh, to Darius as he moves on and hopefully he'll be able to land somewhere and uh, enjoy the remainder of his collegiate football career. And then also, uh, Byron Thweet, um, you know, special teams coordinator, uh, outside linebackers and um, defensive ends coach. Uh, he had been um, on the defensive staff with Coach Trot and Coach Hanson, and uh, he was a guy that really had a tie with those guys. Um, so it wasn't a huge surprise, but it's not not a move I had heard speculated. But um, he will not be retained, and his contract will expire um, per. Steve and I go with Toys and Colors on the end of March. And so we're, we're attempting to fill that position. And from what I'm hearing, the, the special teams special teams duties will be spread out amongst the, the staff. And he's, so we'll be hiring a new D-line coach. So. Defensive end and uh, out the backers. But, uh, okay. Roy, Roy Tesh was coaching the D-line. So I'm guessing that um, obviously – I'm sure Coach Harrell um, may have some some ties with guys that have coached that position for him in the past, and and Coach Houston as well. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, it should be a, an easy position to fill. I, I, I would uh, I would think, and uh, I want to say about Penix. Uh, uh, Penix thought he was going to be the starter coming in this year. Was not had a great attitude when he got on the field. Tried to take advantage of his opportunities. Uh, you know. Made made some plays for us down the stretch too, mm -hmm. um, uh, so uh, I, I hate to see him go. Honestly, um, I, I know with with the amount of players coming back because of COVID, uh, some players we probably do need to trim the roster. And I'm sure that there was a discussion between him and Coach Houston. I know him and Coach Houston had a good relationship. Kind of wish he'd stay just because he Penix has been around so long. He he's a pirate. He's a kid that I'm not like. Oh well good riddance or, or, well, good luck or whatever. Uh, uh, he's a kid that he has a good attitude and I think of as a pirate. So I kind of hate to see him go. Um, and, uh, disappointed to some of our fans of some of the comments, uh, over on pirate radio's Facebook page. Um, hopefully he'll, uh, he'll notice the majority were positive saying good things about him and not worry about those couple of negative comments. But, uh, you know, there, there are some kids like, like the kid from Arkansas that, you know, uh, I'm, I'm like, you know, what a baby, uh, you know, I, Penix is not like that. Penix, uh, Penix is a kid that, uh, always tried his hardest and, and had a good attitude. And, uh, so we don't need the negative comments. Not only that, but guys, just the very fact that the guy was literally, uh, on, you know, he, he came in during one of the worst times you ever could come in as a pirate. And that's under Scotty Montgomery. And he stayed with us. He stayed with us through the thick and thin. 
And uh, again, with the COVID, with all that, like you said, Kyle, uh, with not knowing how much playing time you're going to have, I don't, I don't begrudge the guy at all because he could have left after year one or two under was a year one, I guess. Well, he he could, he, could have, he could have left four games into this year when he's all he was yeah. going to be uh, and saved a year yeah. of eligibility. I mean, he saw four games into this year. He wasn't going to be the featured back, and he would have saved a year of eligibility, and uh, he didn't do that. Well, he, well, this year, yeah, this year didn't count anyway. Well, true enough, true enough. Shut up, Bubba. <laughs> <laughs> true oh, enough. Man. But, uh, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm comparing him to that clown from uh, Arkansas. That's he's North hating North. him. Yeah. So, but P- Penix is a pirate, and uh, I uh, nothing but the best to you, my friend. Uh, go uh, – as long as you're not playing for an opponent uh, of ours, I'll, I'll be cheering for you. No doubt. And uh, this is a case where I think that Coach Houston did the right thing by looking out for him. And if he wants playing time, that he can play somewhere else. And like you said, uh, that very thing. Just make sure it's not South Carolina, Appalachian State, <laughs> one of the opponents coming up. And I bet uh, you this, and I don't know this for a fact, but I'd be willing to bet you if he doesn't get picked up by somebody, I bet you he'll be welcome back on the team because you can do that. Yes, you can. It's not like uh, turning pro. Bubba, we got a big show tomorrow night, right? Yeah, the, on Saturday, the Pirates will be hosting USF on 1 o'clock at Minji's. So uh, we'll preview it tomorrow night. Jim Lauk, uh, the USF play-by-play voice, longtime play-by-play voice, and uh, uh, he'll join us for the first 20 minutes or so. And then um, the, the last old half hour, to 40 minutes and we'll be joined by a former East Carolina basketball coach, Mike Steele, who had the Minji steel mill back in the you know, late eighties and early nineties. So uh, I'm very excited about that show. Co- coach Steele's a lot of fun. <laughs> yes, he is. And uh, good luck to the, our pirates uh, seven and two on the year. Very happy with the, the start. And we'll see how uh, that plays out on Saturday for sure. All right, uh, for Coach Minner and Bustle and Bubba and Kyle, you've been watching and listening to the Sports Objective. Good night, everybody. As always, go Pirates. Hey, what's up?